0: Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Delling. and before I introduce this week's incredibly exciting special guest that I'm really looking forward to talking to, I just wanted to say, do please remember if you enjoy this podcast and you jolly well will because all my podcasts are bloody great and this one's going to be no exception. Please support me on on Patreon, and I, I feel particularly supported here. Uh, talking to a top businesswoman who I think will agree it's very important to monetize your product. Fre- freedom isn't free, nor a podcast. And if you want me to go on producing really good stuff, please support me. If you subscribe to my Patreon, you get to listen to my podcast at least three days early and all sorts of exciting other perks as well, including my Not My Spectator column. I uh, Hard sell over. Here is this week's special guest. Helena Morrissey. Helena. Hello James. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. uh, You know because I'm uh, I I don't know what it what it is about me but I hardly ever have girls or women on my on my podcast and I'm always being told off for saying things like using girls uh, instead of women and I, I the last in fact the last female podcast guest I had actually slapped me across the face which I thought was jolly unfair. I think you know, maybe it's that women feel the need to kind of tell me off because I'm a bad boy. But I genuinely am excited to have you on the podcast. You are a, well, you always prop up in the newspapers as one of those sort of superwomen, don't you? You've got about 20 children um, and you've got a high-powered career in the city.
1: Slight exaggeration. So I have nine children um, and two grandchildren these days, actually. And um, yes, I've always worked in the city. And actually, I should say I don't mind being called girl. I wrote a book, A Good Time to Be a Girl, and there's my shameless plug. And uh, quite a few people said they objected to the the word girl in the title. And obviously, I didn't mean anything um, condescending or, or you know patronizing by it. I I've I meant it in the context of you know girls are future women. And a lot of people are called girls, you know, don't mind it at all, I think. So Um, I, I don't object to that. So no, there's no Do metaphorical you know slap from me.
0: No, that's good. Do you know, I think that's I think I had an inkling of this in in my previous encounter. Well, I think I've met you once and we uh, I follow you on Twitter. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so glad to have you on the show, because actually, if I were a girl, of whatever age, I know I, I would be perfectly okay with being being a girl because that's the kind of person I am, and I, I almost think it's a, a litmus test of uh, there are sort of women who divide, in, 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 particularly in this in this world where we're, where where gender or the the sexes have been weaponized in service of a political cause. That women, I think, have been encouraged to take offence at stuff that really, really doesn't matter. There are so many more important issues in the world than whether or not somebody calls you a girl. And I think that actually people who are offended by that are very, very silly. So so that you've already you've already got brownie <coughs> points from me. So oh, well done. Few, Thank you. Few. <laughs> tell me. Tell me about your your fund that you manage in the city. I mean, it's worth Is it. Is it? So these, days,
1: no, so these days so these days I'm no longer CEO of Newton investor management which is um, where there were you know we did look up to 50 billion pounds when I was there um, at the moment yeah. I I stepped down from that a couple of years ago three years ago and since then I've worked at legal in general where I was trying to encourage more people to invest not just women um, and uh, and I did let, launch a fund that was um, investing more in companies that did more around gender equality. But uh, these days I'm a non-exec director. I am at St. James Place, the wealth management firm, and um, I'm enjoying that and I'm doing a few other things. I'm writing another book. Um, I'm doing podcasts with my husband about importance of family life and the reset moment from lockdown. And yeah, doing what's called a portfolio
0: of things. So you are actually the dream guest to talk about issues arising out of the lockdown which is you're equipped to tell me about the financial aspects of it and what it's going to do to our economy but also what it's doing to things like children's education and stuff like that which is just crazy isn't it and given that given your public profile you could easily have, have have been one of those people that kind of support the boring government line and, and, and sort of argue for the lockdown, but actually you haven't done that. You've been quite critical, I think, of the damage that's being done. Is that is it fair to call you a lockdown sceptic?
1: Yeah, I think, um, and I listened to your podcast with uh, Dr John leese and to agree with lots that he had said, I think that we all understand that at the start of it all, no one really knew how um, how impactful the virus was going to be on on life and uh, probably had quite a lot of sympathy with the government deciding that they couldn't take the risks. But I think, you know, and as Dr. Lee said, you know, we've had a lot of new evidence and we've got to weigh up the uh, impact on people who are vulnerable to the virus with people whose livelihoods and whose futures are being you know uh, really uh, well held to ransom really by what's going on so I think at the moment I mean I definitely think the government needs to be much more transparent I suppose about the decision-making process and at this stage I mean I've got a year six child my youngest is 11 so she's gone back to school um, earlier this week and it's kind of weird even for those children they're put in these awful bubbles they're called and I think that's creating a real atmosphere of fear amongst children at a time in their lives when really they ha- they should not be fearful. And then, of course, we've got, you know, I've got university-age children, whose job prospects are looking, you know, pretty difficult at this stage. And then, of course, there's swathes of the economy, including people who are very, um, you know, poor to start with, don't have a lot to start with, whose jobs are at risk. And it's going to be massive economic destruction, I'm, a- I'm afraid. So I'm, a- I'm somebody who sympathise with the idea of having maybe, you know, a lockdown to start with, now it's perhaps not shown to have saved lives or not clear that it has. Um, and the evidence is mounting that there are other risks to worry about. Then we should review it and more quickly than is yeah. being done at no.
0: present. I'm totally with you. I think it's a perfectly reasonable position uh, that one shouldn't judge the government on decisions made when there was much less information than there is now. You know, Perhaps at the time it seemed like this was. Well, uh, it's just particularly given there was a possibility, I think, which has now become increasingly likely, that this was a bioengineered virus to a degree. It's been, this is what Richard Dearlove, the head of MI6 has said, that it was engineered in a lab. So so it's a, a bioweapon. So you can see why people like Boris and Gove might have panicked and thought, right, you know, this could be this could be Armageddon. But since then, we've had, what, 10 weeks to discover loads and loads of stuff about this this virus. And it clearly is not, it's no worse than than bad seasonal flu or, or even just seasonal flu. So um, I think we should be starting to get angry, shouldn't we, now? Uh, when, when you hear, for example, um, Dominic Cummings pushing for a quarantine. I mean, a two-week quarantine for travellers and, yeah. and returning uh, tourists. Uh, I mean, does that make any sense to you?
1: It does not, and that's. Um, I think you know this point of transparency. I think if if you know we're most people in this country are are very interested in the reasons why things are are being done, and I think perhaps there's been an embarrassment if if governments got things wrong or a, a, a sense that you can't admit mistakes. But actually, at this stage, I think people would be much more sympathetic to the idea and much more trusting we've shown the information, um, have more discretion, we, you know, have dis- control uh, to a larger degree over our own decisions. Clearly the virus is very disastrous for certain people, certain, you know, older people, uh, people with underlying critical or cri- underlying conditions and so forth. So I don't think it's fair to say it's It's just the same as seasonal flu, perhaps, but uh, certainly for a lot of young people and a lot of um, people, we're not so young, James, you and I, but, you know, we're kind of, you know, fit and healthy and we should be able to get on with our lives, really. And um, the quarantine at this stage, the idea of, you know, after all of this... You know, lockdown that people have gone through now, or in a week's time, imposing some sort of um, quarantine after foreign travel—it just doesn't make any any sense to anybody. And obviously, it's the opposite of what most countries are doing, which is to open up. And and we wanted to be, you know, global Britain. And I just I do suspect that the government—I mean, obviously, a lot of ministers, including the prime minister, have had coronavirus. And I suspect, you know, he obviously had it very badly, um, and that might be influencing. Uh, things but I also do think they're struggling to sort of reel back from you know the, uh, just this idea that they may have, have overreacted to start with and I, I, but I don't I think that's wrong I think people would be just completely understanding and say okay you did what you did to the best of your ability with the information you had then now we've got new information, so we need a new policy. Our businesses are run like that. I mean, if you stick your head in the sand and say, well, we've always done it this way, this is we, we gave you our strategy two years ago and we're going to stick to it, uh, you would go out of business. You have to adapt to, re- to reality, to developments, and move on.
0: It's interesting you make that point because one of my beefs as a kind of classical liberal, for want of a better phrase, is that time and again what we see is... The the private sector is much more responsive than the public sector. The public sector is hidebound, sclerotic. Look at, look at how companies have, look at the responses to this coronavirus crisis. Uh, who's emerged really well? Uh, the supermarkets, for example. The supermarkets are not controlled by the government. They're, this is the free market in action. They competed against each other, they, uh, it was healthy. Whereas look at Public Health England, absolutely disastrous. And, so, you know, it, it tried to keep keep things like PPE equipment and uh, the testing process away from the private sector. And look what happened. No PPE equipment virtually, no no testing. Uh, I exaggerate, but it's been pretty disastrous for the public sector. And yet here we have a government which seems not to have learned this lesson.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's um, one exception to your uh, correct uh, an you know account of things in terms of private sector kind of getting on with it Often, And then the public sector lagging and having this sclerotic sort of processes and bureaucracy has been the army. I mean, I think the army has um, done extremely well through this and shown what can happen. I mean, obviously Nightingale Hospital is sort of empty, but it was built in, you know, days, not years. And um, so it, it is it isn't foregone conclusion that things don't happen if they're in the public sector. But certainly, I mean, one of the lessons learned has to be much clearer line of sight between you know, the decisions taken and then the people implementing it, which you have to have in business, as I say, otherwise, you know, you go out of business. Um, Businesses aren't perfect, obviously, and, you know, mistakes get made a lot of the time. But there is this uh, accountability because, you know, you, you won't be able to employ people you will uh, lose your customers and y- you will ultimately uh, go under so so there is this skin in the game you know it's expression that's often used in fund management you're a better fund manager if you have skin in the game if your own money is put in the funds that you're managing and I think there needs to be a bit more of that in some way in the public sector and I would like to see in lots of areas a sort of more of a partnership between public and private sector because I think private sector can really help um, and and hopefully that that might be one of the things that emerges from this.
0: I'm always saying stuff about about business and how it works and stuff, but I'm but I've never been in business, so I'm just sort of it's just hearsay on my part. But you have actually experienced business, so you can tell me whether, whether what I'm I've been saying all along is true. That in the private sector, you are much more likely to get fired when you make a major cock up. Whereas in the public sector, you tend to be moved sideways or moved to a different department, but actually not demoted. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, if, if you are talking about a company sort of under contract and they make an, a huge error, then, you know, it, it's you're going to get fired from it, you know, or you're not going to get renewed. And, you know, it's the marketplace. It's it, and then obviously as an individual as well, if you're no good at your job, you're not going to get paid to do it and people are going to get rid of you. So um, it's harsh. And I have seen, um, you know, the the worst sort of cases where people get entirely greedy and profit's the only thing. And I do um, temper my enthusiasm for, for, for free markets with, you know, you need to have some sense of community as well, which you might take issue with, James. I know some of your views, but I think, you know, left its own devices and run unchecked, you get real greed and you get short-termism that actually just enriches a few people and doesn't really help the country or the company so um so that is a a downside but it, it is true that you've got this accountability point and and you will lose your job or your contract if you're no good
0: to be to be fair Helena I have a fairly cynical view of the financial sector I think that people are grotesquely overpaid for actually doing not much more than than work long hours and shift money around, rather than say widgets, um, I think that the the financial sector has in the past and probably is uh, still conducive to tremendous malpractice. I, for example, I my my father in law died recently, and and like a lot of like a lot of uh, elderly couples a few years ago. He entered into this scheme whereby um, you you give the ownership of your house to a to a company and they give you a they give you a sort of a a percentage of the house's value. And then when the house is sold, you discover that they own pretty much all the house, even though they've, they've only given you a tiny amount a few years back. I haven't expressed it very well, but I was thinking whichever person it was who devised this system to go around to old people thinking, oh, I can I can. Unlock part of my nest egg and 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 you know enjoy a nice a nice retirement, not realizing that that they've been more or less raped by the financial sector. I mean, I mean, what what's happened is disgusting. Or I think, for example, of collateralized debt uh, uh, debt obligations. You know, sort of moving around toxic debt. These these were products designed by people who thought about nothing but enriching themselves. They didn't think about the greater good. So I don't have a kind of sentimental. Att- Nevertheless, I do I do think that you know it's a vital sector of our economy am I being fair in what I've said you're being
1: I think you're being completely fair um I think unfortunately the financial industry is littered with countless examples where um people have taken what might have been a good idea in theory I mean in theory allowing people to have some of them Equity in their house as cash to live on in their old age is a great idea, yes. but it gets taken advantage of, and so people yes. don't know when to stop. They can, and And shareholders have a have a, a you know responsibility there as well because they often push companies to take more risk, to take more shortcuts, to be more profits oriented, less um, thinking about the customers and so forth. So I th- I think there are you're completely fair on that, and it's not the only example. Obviously, we're just hearing again, you know, the the poor. Um, People who invested in Neil Woodford's funds, you know, they're they're likely to yes, get the last payment. You know, okay, I've the I've touched a nerve there. So, so
0: yeah, well, no, you have no, no. You keep but going, that's right. Yeah, yeah. no, because Neil, Neil so, Woodford was was the golden boy, wasn't he? Mm. Now it must have been, and he was always being touted as as you know. Um, well, I mean, I once had a, a a fund manager who sort of mentioned in a in a sort of quite. Flattering way, the Neil Wood Woodford fund. He said, obviously, past performance is no guarantee of blah blah blah. Nevertheless, it was clear that that Neil Woodford was everyone's everyone's favourite fund. I remember the time, and it really wasn't so long ago, when Neil Woodford was just—he was like the surefire way of of getting fantastic return on your investments. And I I put a small amount in, I and mean, I think I, I think I must have lost about five grand investing in. But it's, yeah, it's still five grand that you could have yeah. invested in. I don't know, Tesla or something. I mean, how is it that people like Neil Woodford can get away with this and not be, because the the financial sector is so heavily regulated, you would have thought that a spin, which is what I think he, he, he pretty clearly was, is, can get away with this stuff. I mean, he's still sitting pretty while his investors have lost loans. How, how, how can that be legal?
1: Well, I completely get your outrage, James. And I think it's, um. I mean, it's been such a sorry tale. And obviously he hasn't necessarily got away with it because I'm sure there will be ongoing recriminations. But the um, I think, unfortunately, the regulators are often one step behind. You know, the people who are, um, you know, really clever and you know, Woodford obviously, you know, is really clever, but he he eventually, he sort of went around the rules. You know, he didn't break the rules, but he uh, created um, mechanisms to get around the rules. So that happens so often. I mean, if you look at the history of all of the disasters in the financial sector, it's always because there's been nice sort of rules there for the good people to abide by, but then the people who are really kind of one step ahead just you know think they're cleverer than the regulator, and they go and it lasts for a certain amount of time, and then disaster strikes and it's very sad I think that one of the problems is that it's really been and and this is something that also applies I think with things like lockdown and so forth it's really hard for people to admit mistakes and to say actually we haven't you know regulated correctly here you know this has all been a disaster people tend to move very slowly to change systems and policies and uh, ways of overseeing things because nobody kind of ever wants to say oh we got it wrong and yet I think. You know, we would avoid so much heartache and difficulty for people if we said, "Okay, fail, but fail quickly. Admit it. Fess up. We won't have a blame culture. We will then make things better. But we don't. We tend to move like a sort of tanker, you know, really moving very slowly to change things. So I I understand your anger. And I must admit, I mean, I was CEO of Newton at the time when he set up, when Neil Woodford set up. And we lost money to his new fund. People were saying, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever. And it was because he was so-called star manager. We ran, and the company, as far as I'm aware, still has this team approach, but it's very unsexy. You know, it sounds very boring, this is kind of team, more than one person, you know, it, it, it requires different brains to kind of come up with the ideas. It's not just all some God that can, you know, be master of the universe. And... And, you know, that's that's unfortunate. That's, uh, you know, we, we are a bit susceptible to that as human beings, the glamour of the the star. And and when it comes to money, that can cost us very dearly, I'm afraid.
0: Yes. You see, I'm now really torn here because you, there's, there's two different aspects of you that I find really, really interesting right now. One is the kind of the fellow lockdown sceptic who can rant with me about how bloody annoying the government's policy is. But the other one is 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 your your experience in the financial sector and i really want to pick your brain a bit on 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 that because am i not right in thinking that the 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 fund you managed was an income fund so you were presumably providing helping people sort of retire and then live on the income is that
1: so um not really no because i was a bond fund manager i i was um i looked after global bond and fund abundant sorry global bond and currencies and but I haven't run money for a long time because then I became the CEO of the company and then I became managing sort of a business that was looking after um, you know people's savings so to be honest the closest I got to that was I would get a lot of letters from people personally addressed to me because we had a big income fund at Newton and yeah. it was one of the very popular ones it was one worth you know billions and we i would get i would get people actually come to the offices to ask me about the dividend payments on it because they were living off the dividends so to be honest yeah. it was a, i mean to be honest it was a really important thing that i would go down and meet them i didn't ask them, i didn't invite them to come in they just turned up and people would say oh no don't go down you know we'll send somebody and i said no, no they've taken the trouble they might have come in from a long way into the city and um it was always hard to to sort of sometimes reassure them or to give them what they wanted, but I could at least see how important it was. And so often the financial industry carries on as if it's nothing to do with real people's lives and real people's money and their livelihoods, their homes, their children's education. And you know, it's something that I'm afraid has, has made me feel, I mean, I, I do a lot these days on trying to improve things in the financial industry. It sometimes feels a bit of a thankless task I must admit but um, you know uh, it also does good for the country is a lot of tax receipts and so forth but it would be so much better if it actually put people first it was much more the services part of financial services and less like it's us and then I, I think this is one of the reasons and I might get in trouble for saying this but anyways this is one of the reasons why the city was so anti-Brexit as well I think a lot of people in the city were very pro-Brexit behind closed doors but um, they didn't say that because it would have been a short-term, you know, pain on on profit. So um I was a bit lonely in huh. the city. <laughs> so I was, uh, what, yeah, what? So the only person really, isn't who, it? Apart from a few hedge fund managers who were very wealthy and could afford to to not have anyone talk to them. But anyway. Um,
0: I, was, I feel about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and a few others. I mean, Howard Shaw, um, but these people are very, very wealthy and they don't really need anybody else's approval or whatever. But I did perhaps naively try to create a debate and a discussion about the way, you know, what kind of world we live in and who we want to be, whether we want to be attached to the EU or whether we should, you know, go our own way. And I still firmly, I mean, everything that's happened since, I think, you know, the only way to be is is pro-Brexit. But um unfortunately just we never had that discussion and and sadly I know that a lot of people were more sympathetic to it but just felt in the short term it would be a lot uh, very detrimental to the city
0: well well first of all congrats on having been on the right side of the argument with Brexit and being on the right side of the argument this time because there's not there's actually not that many people who who are like that a lot of Brexiteers for example are now kind of what I call COVID bedwetters. That that they seem to their authoritarian streaks seems to lead them towards yearning for bigger government. But that's by the by. Isn't it kind of ironic? Isn't it ironic as your favourite singer, I'm sure Alanis Morissette would would say. Um, Why would that be my favourite singer? Just yeah, because was, so, she's very you. miserable. I just, but anyway. <laughs> no, no. I'm
1: optimistic. I'm sure, I'm sure she's I'm not full of contradictions. I'm sure,
0: you know. <laughs> um, no. Uh, isn't that ironic? Do you remember the predictions that were made during Project Fear uh, and 500,000 the city,
1: children. and now 500,000 yeah, 500, deaths. deaths, and now five hundred thousand deaths?
0: Well, well, there's that. Yes, there's that that handy, handy round number. But also, do you remember the sort of the economic the, the predictions of the economic damage that was the hit to GDP that was going to be taken as a result of Brexit? What well, can you remember? What it was. Is it about well, people, there were all sorts
1: of numbers. I mean, some people said it was going to be up to 10. Um, some people said a minus two. You know, there was a lot of... But I did sit next to once the, one of the guys in the Treasury who had to come up with the... Well, was, was credited, so to speak, with the number... That households were going to be worse off was it something like four thousand and you know sixty three pounds and twenty two p or something? It was a very precise number. I probably got it completely wrong, and I said to him, "Well, how did you come up with that? You know, precise number?" And he said, "Well, actually, it wasn't a precise number. I said it could be here, down, you know, a low level. It could be here, a high level, and you know, the prime minister and the chancellor added the two numbers together and divided them by two. So, you know, there's a lot of." It- things that are said that are not really you know we don't know answers I did philosophy at university best to admit it when we don't know when something is a guess uh, it's not that um, it's a bad thing if you have to make a best efforts guess but we shouldn't have false science we shouldn't have false precise precision and we should think as we're going through as I said earlier it's, it's most important thing in life and as far as I can see and in business and in politics is to keep thinking as you go through as you as you learn
0: yeah so, well, I agree with that. But the point I was moving on to was OK, suppose they were saying their worst-case scenario was that we were going to take a, a 10% hit to GDP. Well, only in our dreams now will we get a, a hit as little as 10% to GDP. I mean, what's it What's it actually going to mean for the economy? Just spell it out for me that we, we've been in lockdown far too long. We're not seeing signs that it's going to end anytime soon, even now. Talk, talk, can you spell out what the damage is? What's, what's going to happen? So,
1: I mean, at the moment, I think that we, we are looking at, at Armageddon if we don't have major policy intervention. And obviously, they're doing what they can. And we can come on to whether that's the right things in a moment but i think you know obviously in the states you've got 40 million americans unemployed since um this all started and we've suppressed our unemployment figure with the furlough scheme but we could get up to the you know 20 percent or so um we know that a quarter of people are on furlough at present and so i mean that's just on you know on average uh, within that we know that minority groups women young people are going to be much worse than that uh, we're obviously looking predictions you know have been as as much as you know 20 to 30% off GDP. And um, obviously within that whole sectors, uh, obviously hospitality and entertainment, uh, airlines, if they have all the quarantine thing, car manufacturing, I mean, so many sectors. uh, There's just very little light at at the end of any tunnel at present. And um, I think it's one of those things where you can't really, what you can't do is extrapolate the past. So the numbers have to be fast and loose at the moment. You just can't, say well last time we were here this is what happened because we've never ever knowingly ground the economy to a screeching halt and then kept it like that and then of course we don't know which is one thing I do think the Swedes thought about right at the beginning they thought how can we make this sustainable you know lockdown isn't something that we can do forever even if at one end of the spectrum people that we wouldn't agree with, but people say we can't sort of freely associate with each other until we've got a vaccine. I mean, you know, who knows if we're we'll ever to get a vaccine? So if we put that at one end of the spectrum and then people say, well, just carry on about your business now, it's it's very hard to envisage how we lift lockdown um, in a way that is, you know, ongoing, positive for the economy, that gradually encourages people. And that's partly because the fear of God has been put into people. People are very, very frightened about the disease and, and that's, that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges that we have as a country, that we've successfully engineered this fear, um, even if it was the wrong thing to do. And, and now people are too afraid. And you have to not be afraid if you're going to create, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to live life to the full, consume, go out to restaurants, go to churches, you know. Uh, so we've got a real problem about unlocking
0: that fear factor now and churning that into into hope yeah so okay so you're saying that it's not just the the wretched government's fault or whether it is for is for initially generating that panic but now it's as much the public's fault for being so frit they won't go back to the schools they won't go back to the restaurants and stuff so it's a kind of self-fulfilling uh, at disaster. the moment.
1: at the moment, I mean, I do think when I've, I mean, my, my year six child that I mentioned who's gone back to school and has to sit in this classroom with with 12 little girls and they have to sit a certain amount of distance apart and they're not allowed to go out at break and they can't see their friends and chat to their friends. I mean, it's not really a way you want your children to sort of live, really. Um, but they, uh, quite interestingly, at the school gates, um, and I've dropped off uh, most days this week. You know that you know the parents are just freely chatting and not sort of keeping their distance. And um, you know these are all people who are you know probably quite well educated. You know thoughtful about it. There, there is they seem to be just I uh, say well if they're going back to school, you know we can we can chat and so grateful to see each other. So I feel it, don't, it won't take that much necessarily, but it does require a change in policy and it requires. I think a change in guidance is two meters is completely unworkable. Um Bonkers. I tried to go to the post office the other day, just to post a return. You know, you can only order things on the uh online, obviously. And I mean it stretched so long. Um it just, you know, it just people just got very were getting very cross and upset and old-age pensioners and you know, just is not a way to live. Um my parents are 80 and 81. And I know they've really suffered in lockdown. They would rather see their grandchildren, their great grandchildren, and live a little, than be cooped up, not allowed to go anywhere. And they'd like to take the
0: risk. Yeah, I think. Totally. So suppose you've been made CEO of Britain, <laughs> what would you be doing now? Okay, you are you are CEO, and and tomorrow morning you you you're, you take charge. What 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 are your moves going to be?
1: So first of all, I would I would say we don't need a social distance. I mean, I think we might need to still look after the people who are vulnerable, but everybody else back to work. Uh, the most important thing is to feel confident that we've done the right things to contra- contain the virus. It's it's safe now, it's fine now. Um, and then, you know, I, I think the government, you know, needs to be quite radical about thinking about the economic policies um could, there's nothing they can do on interest rates i mean i'm i'm definitely not a fan of negative interest rates i think it completely distorts things and doesn't there's no sign that it works no evidence that it works so we haven't got interest rate policy we need to get money in the real economy not the stock market yeah, that's why stock markets are better at the moment because they're pumping lots of liquidity in, but that doesn't get to real people. We need to build things. We need to help with education and skills. We need to focus on broadband connectivity so you and I can see each other from our internet uh, working. Yes. We need to make sure that young people, uh, if they can't get jobs, are in an education and they are using this time to really develop their digital skills. And we need to connect the country better east to west, not just north to south. So there's a lot of real infrastructure projects, not Folly projects, but I think we just need not to Not HS2. Everything. Not HS2, I'm afraid. But, you know, we need to and we need to be bold about, you know, OK, let's have a national insurance holiday. Let's 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 make sure that at the moment people can keep the money that they earn and let's encourage them to, to spend it and get the economy going through the, you know what's called the velocity of money you know if you have a pound and you don't spend it it's not going to be as good for the economy as if you spend that pound and then somebody else spends that pound and then we get the whole thing you know move and you might not have to do it for very long I mean I'm not talking about you know getting addicted to spend 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 I'm just saying for now you've got to go out really confidently uh, I mean the the Queen sounds so confident about it. You know, she doesn't have any more facts than you or I have, but she says we will succeed. This will be a success. We will make and we need a bit more of that from, you know, so a bit more the Queen would be good.
0: Mm, yes. Um. You didn't mention that you're going to put the government's heads on spikes, although I hope that w- would be one of I'm your second or third I'm a very nice, kind person.
1: List. No, and I, I have a lot of, I mean, I... Soft I, spikes. No, <laughs> So I have a lot of sympathy with people getting things wrong, and I understand why things yeah. go wrong. But I want people to admit it, to to come out and get our sympathy and our empathy around that, uh, to be transparent about the policies. I just read this morning, actually, the minutes of SAGE, because I thought, OK, they're releasing the minutes now. Let's see what they're discussing. And they were discussing the minutes that you can look at now were dated the 7th of May. So the minutes, the most recent minutes are the 7th of May. So we're kind of a month behind. And um, when one looks at it, again, there's no sort of sense of um, maybe we're wrong about things. <laughs> maybe we should get a few other inputs here. Um, it's interesting that they are published. And I do think we should start just for our own edification to read them. They come out you know, each day, but they're at this month's delay. Um, but I just don't see the humility that's needed. And and I think leadership in a crisis starts with acknowledging that you don't have all the answers, that you're confident that together you can make it through, but that we need everybody's ideas on the table, please. Um, and not command and control, not this is what you've got to do because I know better.
0: So isn't another of your CEO moves then that you say you issue a kind of a mea culpa that, that you say, look, we we got it wrong at the beginning because we didn't have all the information. Is that fair?
1: I think that's fair. I think, And I think that would go a long way. I mean, there might be people who are very angry because they feel they've been locked up for no good reason. But at least then the same mistake won't be made again. And that's, again, what um, I think is interesting in different parts of the world where they are analysing... And sharing, you know, in Norway or some of the other countries have shared quite a lot of information about what they've been learning and say, well, even if we made mistakes, and at least it would mean we won't lockdown again um, and get that wrong again. We won't throw good money after bad, as they say in the city. And, um, you know, it's it's the only way, I think. Um, I think the economy is really going to hit everybody and the government will be struggling with that because if it doesn't come out now and and, uh, switch gears, because as well, people will just think, they'll start to feel confident about, you know, the virus, the health crisis being passed, and then get the economic crisis. And, you know, there's only so much people can take, isn't there?
0: Isn't one of the problems, I'm going to pick your financial brain here, isn't one of the problems that the, um, with the markets, you say that they've, at the moment, they've been kind of, pump primed by all this kind of um all the liquidity that's been put into the market by the by the federal reserve and 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 so on um which i think by the way am i right in thinking that this is a future inflation risk i mean once that money starts accelerating we could have mega inflation
1: it is i mean we had it already in the um um, global financial crisis, this is the policy that they used, but obviously that didn't QE and stuff. Yeah, that's the same sort of thing, but it didn't lead to inflation then, but yes, ultimately um, it's inflationary, it should be
0: but, but I'm thinking about all the people with pensions and we mentioned people who are on kind of, they need a kind of fixed income ideally, and in the past you had companies like Shell that paid out dividends reliably. Now we've got a lot of these blue chip companies which aren't even, have suspended their dividend payments, sometimes for the first time in their history. How, how are pensions going to be able to pay out regular sums of money to, their, to, to pensioners in this time of financial craziness?
1: Well I think it's going to be incredibly difficult because obviously one of the reasons why they're not paying out the dividend it's not just so they keep the money you know for a rainy day but a lot of these firms are also furloughing people and taking government money to do that. So I mean Tesco got into big trouble because or at least criticized because it paid a big-ish dividend and then it it, it had a similar amount of money coming from the government for furlough. So they have to be careful for that but it just shows um, yeah we've tied ourselves in not the money has to come from Ultimately, we need job creation, we need entrepreneurship, and we need to get the economy moving again. Otherwise, there won't be any money to pay pensioners for hospitals, for schools, um, for food. You know, it's um, it's just basic economics, really. You can keep going for so long, just borrowing from the future, but you need to get that. You need to get people working, and we need to be... um, you know optimistic that the, the the reality is it's really hard to be a successful person in business i think if you're a pessimist because you always stop yourself from actually taking the risk and doing something that would be you know ultimately going to create value create something new and um so you look and most people who run successful businesses tend to be optimistic. I mean, you don't have to be completely blithering idiot about it. But, you know, they tend to think that things might go right, not go wrong. So um, yeah. we need to, you know, without optimism, without hope, it's going to be very difficult.
0: It's, it's funny. I, I, my, my little brother is an entrepreneur and he's exactly that. He doesn't like negativity. I remember vividly last year, I said to him, what would you do? If there was a major economic collapse, is your company is your company geared towards surviving such a, an eventuality? And he gave me a really sort of like dirty look because I think you're right. Businessmen are optimistic and they don't like to think about things like economic disasters. They have to they have to bet on on things going okay. Um, but yeah. sadly,
1: obviously, that means at the moment, uh, I think there's a particular double, you know. Disincentive for would be entrepreneurs because often a lot of people yeah. have gone bust, you know, in the recent past. And, um, you know, it's it. so many people have they've built up a business very slowly over 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and then it's all gone out the window. Um, because obviously, again, we've, we just shut the economy. I mean, schools have shut. I'm sure you saw yesterday that they closed the Minster School in York. Um, I think it was founded in something like six to 620 or something 627 and you know they've the income to some of these schools has just c- collapsed so um it's going to really change the culture of the country and as well as the economy
0: yes well you mentioned earlier your your children are going to have a well we've got children the same age um that it's going to be much tougher for them i mean do you think that I reckon that this, from now on it's going to be the East which is going to rise and that the West is kind of... I'm still holding out hope for Donald Trump. We're you on Donald Trump, by the way. Oh, do you no, think he's our only hope, as question.
1: I do? Um... So no, I don't think he's our only hope. Um, his language just appalls me all the time. I mean, my husband is a, yeah, is yeah, a yeah. fan of his. My, the language just—I just hate the way as well. He's incite. It feels to me he's inciting violence. My husband keeps showing me that he's there's fake news and there's this that. But I, it feels to me, my gut instinct is the man, you know, is fueling the cultural wars that there are in America, which is not a good thing at present. But I think um, so. No, he's not the only hope. Um, I do agree with Mike Pompeo you
0: um, about, have Biden.
1: Well, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that.
0: (laughs) But I feel, yeah, rocks
1: hard place. No, um, I I mean, I've heard Mike Pompeo, met Mike Pompeo a few times, the Foreign Secretary of State, and I I think he's brilliant. uh, One of the smartest men I've ever met. And I think he's he's very tough on China. And I think he's he's right on China. So um, where were we going with this? Why was that? Why was Donald Trump suddenly a motif?
0: Okay. Well, I'm saying I think the West is. I think the West is is doomed. I think that. Um, okay. For example, look at Boris's plans so far to get us out of the worst recession since in 300 years. Entirely self-inflicted. Um, he's planning on uh, green jobs. You know, i.e. government taxpayer money. Going into putting up more wind turbines, which are which which only survive through through subsidies, which which do not generate anything of value, uh, so making energy more expensive. HS two complete white elephant project, which is going to do nothing that we need. Um, Huawei getting into bed with the Chinese, enabling them to spy on us. I'm hearing nothing from this government, which gives me any confidence that we're going to get out of this mass, this mega depression. I I look at continental europe i see it collapsing I, america I'm, I'm i'm slightly less worried about but i think i look at the east and i look okay the chinese are going to take massive advantage of this crisis they're probably going to buy up cheap assets um they're going to continue their sort of world domination i look at places like south korea and singapore which have been very sensible at least and vietnam even which have responded much better to to COVID-19 than we have. They, they've kept their economies open. So I'm thinking, do you think our children are going to have to move east to, to find their fortunes now?
1: Well, um, oh, that was, a, that was a lot in that question. Um, I really think we've got to be on our guard against China. And that's something that, you know, I mentioned Mike Pompeo there. I, I think that Americans have got, you know, China completely right. And they are right to think of it as wanting world domination, as you're intimating. And I... Hope my children don't end up having to go, go east because um, I think that uh, would be another yeah it would be a bad result for the for the world if if there is that um, you know if communism takes drain, over everything drain. yeah well just, also just because they want to you know. Bring, you know, they, they talk so tough. I mean, um, they absolutely have no um, desire or, or even attempt to negotiate on anything. It's just their way or the highway. I mean, look at what they've been saying over Hong Kong and so forth. And I just think we need to wise up to that and not do Huawei and stuff like that. I think it's just, um, you know, we're just sitting ducks if we do that. And I think we need to be very aware that uh, there's a big threat there. I do think that there are um, some attempts. I just wanted to say something that. So it's not really out there in the public domain. But I know that behind the scenes that I'm involved in some of this, there are big efforts being made to try and pull together an economic plan that would be quite radical for post-COVID. So uh, involving the MPs, involving people in the laws, people in business, people, different small groups, often involving quite a lot of people who voted for Brexit, um, sort of some, <laughs> you know, radical. Yeah. So it's not. it's kind of. People thinking, actually, this is really, this, we can't just kind of say, oh, well, let's just pick up where we left off. That is not an option here. Lots of the stuff that we never got around to when there wasn't a crisis. And I do think in crisis, it makes you think about the things that you want to do differently that you now have to because there's absolutely no choice. And so there is, I, I wouldn't be quite so doomy about it. Obviously, lots can happen between vague ideas and then is it going to be implemented? Is these, are these ideas bold enough, etc. But I do think there's a lot of work, you know, scribbling away behind the scenes and trying to get the best ideas out there on the table and um, make sure that doesn't happen, that we sort of we're not succumbing to the or surrendering to the East.
0: Well, but do you, OK, it's really good to hear that. Um, but do you share my view that we haven't really seen much from, OK, so, so the MPs have all been locked away at home. But I haven't really seen much questioning of of the quadrumvirate you know of Boris and Rob and Gove and um Rishi sunak uh, and their and their disastrous lockdown policy. I mean, why are we not hearing more opposition from MPs and why are we not hearing much more vocal opposition from the business sector to this economic suicide?
1: well I, I scratched my head uh, same as you James. I think um I don't think any of us understand why there is this um, lack of proper debate about it. I do, I mean, I heard Rishi Sunak just before lockdown, it was the week uh, just just running into it, when um, he announced a series of measures that would be, you know, he came up with the, I would do whatever it takes to, you know, keep the NHS um, bankrolled and so forth. And I must say, I think he's very impressive. And I think he's a, he probably, I would imagine, is trying to fight very hard for the economy within that group of four and um but but clearly there needs to be uh and this is probably partly because they haven't been proper sitting um sessions and it's all felt um a little bit weirded out i think it hasn't felt like we've got a proper you know house and people uh, even looking at the lines where they were doing the voting you know I, that was just all seemed completely bizarre they um we need somebody in charge and who's inviting more discussion and, um, yeah, let's thrash it out and let's get some answers. Uh, it needs to be more than just four people.
0: Well, well yeah. By the way, I've got prompted by the course of our interviews over well, our chat, rather, um, which is a part... Okay, so Trump, you're what I would call slightly unsound on, but then, you know, lots of people are. <laughs> um, but, but... Uh and, and and you know, obviously, I don't go along with the whole women in business stuff. I just think, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm sure you're really good at your job, but I do, I just don't believe in quotas or anything like that. You know, neither do I. I, well, think you I don't believe in quotas, but
1: yeah, yeah. No, we probably we probably are a bit different from that. I've I've read enough of your pieces, James. I so. think yeah,
0: you know, yeah, we would you know where I am coming but, from, different, but still. <laughs> Still, given uh, apart from the the weaknesses I've mentioned, you are actually pretty sound. And what I want to know is how on earth do you get away with this? Do you not get tremendous amount amount of shit from... Because, I mean, as we know, the corporate sector and the financial sector are now achingly politically correct. You've got companies like BlackRock talking about how we must divest of, of um, stranded assets of fossil fuels and there ought to be, every company ought to be accountable for its its carbon footprint, or it, all this nonsense, corporate social responsibility, um, diversity, everything that, that I loathe is now kind of, has permeated pretty much every nook and cranny of the, the, the city. Um, how do you survive in that environment? Doesn't it drive so, you nuts?
1: Um... Yeah, I mean, you've you point. So I thought you might find me a little bit uh, hard to pigeonhole. And I know your views about you know lefties and your, you know, the people on the right and so forth. And I thought, okay, so I'm a bit of a conundrum for you, presumably, because you know I say I'm sound on a few things and very unsound on, on others. Um, and I suppose but I, I did think very <laughs> quite unsound Just on a others a bit, but a bit. So I've I suppose I would say I have. um, You know, I put my head down. I work really hard and I you know performed as it were in the first couple of decades of my career and I guess I then tried to use whatever power I had which wasn't necessarily enormous but I had you know I was the chief executive of, of a major fund management company I um, chaired at one point something called the investment association which looks after you know all well it's a trade body for all the fund managers so about seven trillion pounds represented by that group so I kind of tried to use that to change um, some of the some things within. I, but you're right; I it hasn't always gone down well. People like you know the status quo if they're earning lots of money and if they if the system's working well for them. But I didn't think it was right for the longer term. And and I'm afraid I'm just wired that way that if something seems wrong, I I, I kind of feel I need to try to. Change it, um, or oh, to speak out. But, or to speak out of- anyway. Speak out. I couldn't have shut up about Brexit, for example. I mean, I that was the biggest um, thing uh, in two thousand and thirteen when David Cameron had given his Bloomberg speech and said we were going to have a referendum. Yeah. I wrote an article for the Telegraph, uh, which the Telegraph headlined, "Enough is enough. Let's leave the EU." I didn't actually use that expression in my article, but I did say. We need to take that control effectively in my in my own words not as eloquently as the slogan eventually was and of course um that kind of outed me on that issue but i really thought perhaps naively that we would have a proper debate and that all ideas would be on the table but it wasn't that way so i have had a hard time and um but i'm afraid I just don't. I, I just couldn't live on myself if I just sort of went along with um, the con, you know, so-called consensus because for an easy life. I just not. I'm just not wired that way. I'm afraid, or maybe it's a
0: good thing. No, I, I, I was sort of, You sort of semi answered the question that I didn't ask, um, but you you semi did, which because because I was really asking you not so much about uh, why why you felt compelled to speak out about women as as more. How on earth, given that you are pretty sound, how on earth you survive in a in a in an environment where every bugger, anyone who wants to get to a get to a, a high level, has to virtue signal like mad. I mean, it's just endemic, and I don't I don't see you as a virtue signalling per person. I almost see your your gender stuff as this kind of deep cover, basically. <laughs> It's
1: not like the awesome. cover that's at all. Fair. No, 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 no. So I, I, I would never wonder. I mean, my husband uses that expression, virtue Signal, a lot. And I, um, but I do, I, probably much more so than you. So this might be where you think I'm on now. I, I do see lots of injustices where the, and how people um, are treated, whether they, you know, have got wrong skin, as the wrong colour, or they haven't gone to the right school or whatever. And I guess I have really felt that that, is a problem for the country um, and for the economy, as well as for those people. Uh, we make the wrong decisions over and over because you've got a small group of people just deciding for everybody else, and they're not necessarily well qualified. I mean, you've been talking about the quad, I can't say that word, like a triumvirate, any poor people. Quad yeah. <laughs> um, we, need, we, we do need diversity of thinking, you know? Maybe you don't agree, but so, so my, my support so for don't. those...
0: Okay, you
1: so don't. Okay, so you think everyone should just agree with each other, and then, but they all have to agree with you, James. Yeah. No.
0: (laughs) I tell you. Let me give you an example. Okay, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine is a a a CEO of a company, and one of his one of his female employees was agitating to get on his board, uh, and was sending him these kind of insinuating emails to the effect that that kind of he needed diversity uh, of opinions on his board and that as a woman she was able to give the female perspective and i just thought bonus to this this is just this is just very very dodgy actually the only thing that matters is talent that's that's uh, uh, you know of course a decent ceo is going to be colorblind of course he's not going to care whether it's a man or a woman but damn right he needs to find the best people for the job and if they're all if they're all black women well that's absolutely fine if they're all white men that's fine too i don't see a problem with it
1: but let me give you a couple of examples then james so just go back to that sage those minutes that i mentioned that were on the 7th of may they talked about the bubble idea and they talked about it being a good thing for mental health because people aren't going to be on their own anymore going to be in a bubble And if you go down the points that they made about risks of the bubble, they were all about, you know, what happens if someone breaks out of their bubble? You know, you can imagine popping it, you know. Um, It's a silly expression. It's a very unfortunate expression. But anyway, there was nothing in it about actually, you know what, this might increase the sense of isolation, it might increase the sense of weird weirdness that we have about uh, the world we live in at the moment and then when you looked at it it was just a purely so-called scientific view. It was like all about you know the kind of facts around it. It wasn't anything about psychology or about how people really operate in life and you know how we like to you know hug our mates and you know be friendly and you know uh, just hang out with each other and uh, nothing about that. Now if you had some other thinkers, not just the scientists, I mean, let's not move it away from men and or or women or anything like that. Let's say you've got a group of scientists and you've got a group of, you know, people who did history or philosophy or whatever, sitting around, they would say, well, hold no, on a minute. philosophy, oh, not on. at Cambridge. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't let
0: any of in. All right, religion, fair no.
1: dibs. Okay, but well, somebody on. else then, somebody else. Then you might say, or history particularly, and you might say, well, actually, you know what? Um, I don't think that's how people would like to behave. It's not we're not all machines. We're not robots, you know. And if you read the minutes, you think when when I got to the little end of the thing, I thought a whole section is missing here. And that's because nobody in the meeting, presumably, said, actually, I don't think we've thought it all through. You know, we have it as if people are just little, you know, machines that we can send off and give them instructions and they'll carry it out. And I, I think most people reading the minutes would say, well, that's not you know, how people work, but they didn't have anybody like us on the on the on the board or on the committee or whatever. So that's where I mean about diversity of thought. And I do think sometimes, um you know, people, I think men and women are often quite different. You know, I know you refer to your children as girl and boy. So, you know, you presumably have... Just so they don't know. You know. Just so they know. <laughs> so, but, you know, I have a good sample size. I've, you know, nine children, six girls, three boys. You do. And the girls have always been, you know, very emotionally kind of forthcoming, a bit more complex, boys straightforward, sporty, you know, I mean it sounds stereotypical but I actually think it kind of takes all sorts to make a world and it's it's great that people have got different ways of operating but you wouldn't want to have all girls or all boys at something, you would want to have, um, just shake it up and have some different ideas and and that quadrant, quadrate, the what four number. people yeah you know there's no women obviously on that um i don't think you should have a woman for its own sake obviously but you should be thinking because when i looked at the list of of the age groups that were going to go back to school first i thought well i want to know the rationale for that why are they sending you know reception back when um you know it's presumably going to be quite hard to social distance four-year-olds and five-year-olds anyways i i just i think it's more than just about um it's not really about gender it's about you know bringing different ideas
0: you've i can say you've made a very reasonable case there and i agree with you at least i think that's a win
1: i think that's a win james i'm you've
0: won it (laughs) no because you've used what you've done By your standard you've used your (laughs) you've used your feminine feminine charm and your your gentleness whereas a man would have just said you're wrong um and uh, you don't know what, you're a sexist pick, he'd have said, or something like no, that. So, no, no, so, so that's only, good.
1: Yeah. So I'll give you one last thing. I know you want to move on from this subject, I'm sure. But so the 30% club, which is set up, which is trying to get more women on boards, but not for its own sake, because we just had a financial crisis. And the, the average person on the board was, you know, 65 and been to the same school and, you know, just all hung out together and had no other views apart from the little group. Anyway, I. Um, It's not a quota, it was voluntary, but persuaded the chairman to support it because these were their boards. Uh, Again, not by telling them what to do, not by saying you're wrong to have all these men, but actually um, by asking them, you know, what the benefits they had seen were and them talking to each other. And some of them were very sceptical. They did not virtue signal at all back in 2010. Um, they said, I can't see the point. And then, I mean, there was this one guy who said, who gave me this story about, you know, he was a chair of a, a real estate company and they were going to do a joint venture in China, topical subject now. And he said there was one woman on their board and they would just had their quill pens to the ready and they were all very sort of buffed up with pride and puffed up with pride and they're going to sign this deal. And she kind of tentatively put up her hand and said, I think you've forgotten about one of the risks here. We haven't structured it properly. And they were all really annoyed with her, he said, because they didn't want to have, you know, stop the deal. But he said, you know, she was right. And the reason um, I realized that the others hadn't, you know, we'd all been so excited about the deal and so sort of, you know, macho about it. We hadn't even wanted to spot there was a problem. And he said, we did end up doing the deal, but we changed the terms. It was a much better deal. And I know that she she spotted it because she was outside the group. She didn't feel the pressure to conform. And she just kind of said it because it was on her mind. So that was much more powerful than me saying you've got to have a woman on the board because you know, women are great. Um he saw it with his own eyes.
0: Yeah. But they could it, it wouldn't necessarily have had to be a woman. It could have been a pop. I was reminded of that what you said there of General Sobovsky planning for Operation Market Gun. And they outlined all this brilliant scheme they had to, you know, we we're gonna land land these paratroops here and there, and, and the Americans are gonna move on this road. And General Sozabowski Said, gentlemen, you're forgetting one one thing, and and he said they said, what's that? And he and he said, the Germans, <laughs> and they they hadn't planned for the German, or other. was so he thought they hadn't really planned for the the German fantastic counterattack capabilities and so on, I, and it, of course, Sosabowski was right. right. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 mm-hmm. clearly, there are going to be cases where having a woman on board is a desirable thing, but I really. I, you know the counter argument to, to your position, which is that what it does it inevitably leads leads to, to quota systems. And what you you find is 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 a a sort of limited talent pool of women being being headhunted from all all kinds of directions and actually some companies having women on the boards who really are, are only there for, for tokenism rather than anything else. And that and that's not a good thing, I would say.
1: Well, I mean, we're going to have to beg to differ on this because I think when you look at, I mean, we've gone now to beyond 30% women on FTSE company boards and the next 250 companies, but actually you're talking about a few hundred women joining these boards. You are not talking about hundreds of thousands. And if you're saying there are not a few hundred well-qualified women in this country who can sit on, or globally, because it's a global companies often. um, I mean, I beg to disagree. I'm not saying any old woman goes on this board. And uh, I'm saying look a bit wider than just you know your friends from the golf club or whatever and um, yeah I, I time will tell it's hard you can't really have a control you know group and say you companies can't hire any women and you hire lots and see who does better you can't do it like that but um, women are you know your your daughter I don't know how old she is but you know I'm sure you're educating her really well just like your son oh my
0: god she did me. mean she cannot listen to this podcast. She would absolutely kill me. I mean, you know, <laughs> some of the questions. Or
1: read any of your articles. Or read any of your
0: articles. Or yeah, absolutely. I, I would not get. I um, yeah. Look, I think we can agree on on, on uh, We can find a point of agreement here, which is, I would be happy if the women on every board, if they were like you, and Ruth Lee. Do we love Ruth? Ruth Lee. Yeah, we love Ruth Lee. Yeah.
1: We love Ruth Lee, okay, Uh, it's it's a deal. In fact, you're going to laugh because I was just, today, I was just clearing out and I came across, I just happened to have this by my desk. You probably can't read it. It says change or go. So this was the Business for Britain's uh, little booklet. I mean, it's the tiny version, which had, um, yeah, Ruth was, I think, pretty much involved in uh, some of these charts because she and I used to share a platform from time to time and she'd whip it out too. So there you go, yes,
0: Ruth's good, good. But, you see, Ruth is another person actually who doesn't who doesn't make a big deal about the fact that she's she's female, you know. She's just she's just it's Ruth, yeah. and she does good things. Yeah, good. Well, we've 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 cleared that one up. Any other business arising? So, are, are you any good on um? Are you any good on on tips on on market tips and stuff? I mean, do you, do you do you follow the markets as a as an investor? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I um, I'm not um, I'm not regulated to give financial advice, as she, so she sort of occasionally. Um, so oh, I yes. just kind of, you know, I have to. Um, I, I personally, at the moment, think markets have got a bit carried away with all of the, you know, they've diverged, diverged Wall Street diverged from Main Street, as they say, and keep sitting record or not exactly. record highs. But going back to you know, seven month ago, sort of positions and so forth. So I'm a bit wary of stock markets at this level. I got to admit.
0: Um yeah, you next... and Warren Buffett both. Well, He's good
1: company then. The it's in cash, yeah. Well, mm. I'm not in the same league on a on a you know amount of money that I have with Warren Buffett. I hasten to add I'm not gonna move markets like he
0: does. But <laughs> no. But do you do what do you what I'm asking is do you manage your own funds or do you just put it in a an investment Do you have it managed for you?
1: So no, I I um look after my own I mean I just um (gasps) I I do sort of quite diversify a bit I mean I kind of um and I use funds I don't direct I don't invest in individual stocks because that would be kind of difficult with other work with work that you have in the city they kind of it's very hard to prove that you didn't have any you know information or something so I do invest in funds
0: Oh, which is not so exciting though it's not quite as exciting sorry
1: yeah it's not like horse racing tips that I can give you a kind of you know bet um, on this one but um, yeah I'm quite encouraged my 14 year old son um, is very keen on investing and to sort of he, he's just been doing a model portfolio just to show me his interest but he's the first one of my children who's shown any flicker of any interest whatsoever so yeah he's very keen on finding stocks that uh, excite him so you never know.
0: That's that is actually every parent's dream. We're the same. We, whenever we hear a, a sign that that our, our children are showing a glimmer of interest in markets, we think, yes, yes, finally, finally, they might get it. But one out of nine, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you know, so it needs are, a are some... I had
1: to go through a lot before. <laughs> well, but but
0: because you're, um, when you've got, because of of your your business success, um. Do you kind of look at the, those? Ch- I imagine some of your children are kind of drifting towards more arty-farty. I just want to be happy type things. And you, and 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 how does that make you feel? Is it is, do, you, do you do you fear for them?
1: No, I, I mean obviously I want them to be happy. They are, as my husband says, they're very. He goes creative, you know. Um yeah, so creative. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, uh, who knows? I, I suspect it's. I mean, nine. You're going to have quite a lot of different interests in that so there are ones that are kind of quite feisty and entrepreneurial and you think okay business people they're going to set up something and then they're others staunched. who are more are more um yeah they read a lot and you know write poetry mm-hmm. that kind of thing but you know we'll see i've got one who's um an academic actually so he's 28 my eldest son and oh, he's,
0: he's doomed then isn't he
1: well I don't know. he's a middle east specialist so that's you know might not be quite as doomed as there's always going to be somebody interested in what's going on there um so yes he's fluent in Arabic and um he's at Oxford University but anyway yeah so who knows can't worry uh, too much if
0: you you, have nine that is one of the upsides of having nine children isn't it I mean that that yeah yeah you don't get sucked into their their emotional struggles too much because there's not enough space is there
1: well, it doesn't work quite like that, but yeah, there are certain things. We can't live our lives, our children's lives for us, is one of my husband and I mantras, and it's partly because of practicalities. But
0: And is there a, a, a wide range of political views within your family, within your self-contained, enormous family?
1: No. No, they are all oh, really? um, very, quite conservative. But yes. Or else well they
0: done. have. Well Mark? <laughs> or is that dad?
1: I think well, it's a mix your of work the two, but, Yeah, Richard, um, my husband, used to send, you know, uh, spectator articles and so forth to, uh, you know, children when they were like eight or nine, uh, prep school. And um, yeah, no, we've always discussed things, political things. And yeah, so we may have, yeah, uh, there's there, there was a very strong. Brexit vote, you know, from our household, all those who could vote did so.
0: <laughs> this is my this is my final thing because I, I I think we've we we've, we've delighted our audience enough. But uh, <laughs> we both sent our we, we both sent our, our our boys to Eton, and I used to think that you sent your kids to a school like Eton to have them taught to be incredibly sound and and believe all the things that we do. But actually, a lot of Etonians are incredibly unsound, and and Eton these days seems to be as, as um as kind of politically correct as a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of state schools. Do we notice that? So
1: I'm a governor at Eton, so I should declare that interest at this point. You know. Oh my earlier. God! So I well, am well, a, well, one What of can the... I just say
0: to you? I'm I will really take this on board. About what's happening to <laughs> that school?
1: Oh well, you'll have as to because I'm parent. very happy with it. Okay, come on then
0: i think it's really gone gone wrong i'm very disappointed by it give me an example give me an
1: example
0: i hated that touchy-feely bleeding heart letter that the head man put out recently about how you know he wanted to bring more um you know poor kids into the school i mean eaton was already doing a very very good job of of helping boys on bursaries and stuff but there comes a point you I sense that this is a headmaster who would very happily ditch that penguin suit uniform in a trice if he possibly could. I, I gather the resistance comes from the boys who are who are more conservative than some of the some of the administrative staff. But I really sense that that school is is embarrassed about being eaten and wants to go down the St Paul's girls school for girls route which is to let's let's pretend we're not a private school Let, let's pretend we're a state school with all the kind of politically correct values that that, that that um that go with that that's where i that's my fear
1: okay well we're going to differ on this one as well james because i'm a big fan of simon henderson the headmaster um i don't think he's bleeding heart liberal i think he actually does want to Uh, He always talks about harnessing Eton's excellence and um, trying to encourage, um, you know, state schools to go sort of up and uh, more pupils to have access to it. And, you know, one of the things they've done, uh, just as an example, which I think takes nothing away from Eton, but actually adds to the whole nation, is that uh, on the day that lockdown was introduced, they said, that they were going to um, make the Eaton X courses which are digital education courses um, available for free to all state school pupils in the country. And I think something like 180,000 um, access codes have been granted so there are 180,000 students who either have taken the courses or can take the courses so far. And it, it costs Eaton nothing, basically they've got the courses already, it's a, it's kind of gift. and. Um, I just think that's a great thing to do, and I don't see that that's, that's incompatible. we being proud about Eton. I think he stands up for Eton's heritage as well, but he wants to modernise it and make sure that it uh, stays relevant and is and is well regarded. Um, ah, relevant.
0: But yeah. You used the R Relevant. Word. I used that, it, but it, it's gone for an hour and this. how many? Minutes. Oh, my but God. Helen, this think, is like, like what the RSC the does.
1: Uniform. No, he doesn't want to ditch the uniform. And yeah. I think it's He I think does it's want just, to,
0: but he's not No, able no, to.
1: no. Well, I've never heard he him does. say he wants to ditch it. He wears it with pride. And um, my youngest son is still there and enjoys it. And I don't think... Um, I mean, I've spoken at Societies there. I don't think it's become... You know, it, the views espoused are not uh, dissimilar in some senses to your own, James, but they are welcoming of lots of different views as well. So um I, I just think it's necessary. If you're going to stick around, I think Eton has to be, you know, showing that it's contributing and not just for those boys who can afford
0: to go. So yeah, uh, yeah, we're yeah. going to have
1: to disagree on this one, too. So I was sound, unsound... Sound,
0: unsound. No, you, no you're, you're sound. I, I just think, look, I think it's like, you know, you have to wear the cloak. You have to wear, you, you couldn't be, basically, Helena, you could never have got as far as you have if you were as completely outspoken and sound as a pound as I am. I mean, you'd never get away with it. Nobody is, nobody is as sound as me and gets on in, in the city or anywhere else. It's just like the only hope for people like me is doing podcasts and stuff. That's it or, or well, private income which I have and
1: it helps with the um it, it you add a lot to the um you know to the rich tapestry of our lives James uh, I, think, gaitive, it's a, I yeah. think it's the gaiety of nation I think it's really you know I, I have to say I think uh, as a final point I mean I think I have sometimes had to be quite courageous and speak out when when the, when the overwhelming majority of people would just rather I just kept my head down and went along with everything so I don't think I've always worn the cloak um but I I have try to stick true to what I actually believe in and it may be that they're different um, I have you know what seem like an incompatible set of views um, with each other but I suppose I make my mind up on every issue rather than saying oh well I'm I'm right of centre so therefore I need to be on this side on every issue and I believe firmly in localism and community and family uh, we haven't talked at all about family really and I think the lockdown has been a great thing for lots of families it's been you know we, we probably shouldn't say good things about lockdown in terms of like a lot of people have suffered but actually it has been a lovely reset moment for lots of families we've we've been 13 in our household for most of the lockdown uh, including my grandchildren and it's been an um, amazing time to spend time with each other just even just playing silly games you know that we never did before so um you know we have to i, I just yeah make no apology
0: i'm going <laughs> to i'm going to i'm going I'm to whisper this bit because it's off brand but I've secretly quite like being with my family too.
1: Yeah! wow, you what a revelation. You? Well, your family well, might listen to your podcast don't,
0: now. Don't, don't tell anybody, okay? Just back. between us. No, 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 shush. You, it's it's going to kill my career been now. Been
1: listening to the recording after and checking you get that bit in, James. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, right. Okay. Well, thank you, Helena. Um, I, I don't think you're a... You're not a terrible cuck, actually. I think you are pretty sad still. And um, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye now.
0: Bye.